0: Hello, my name is Andrew Gary and welcome to Seismic Sound Off in depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, I speak with Yuan Vlad on his article in The Leading Edge analyzing over 80 years of affiliation information for articles in geophysics. Yuan examines long term publishing trends in geophysics, including affiliation information and geographic trends. Using Python, statistics, and visual analysis, Yuan explores how understanding these trends could be valuable both for institutional decision-making and for individual career planning. Yuan Vlad is the Senior Scientific Programmer for Atmospheric and Environmental Research in Albuquerque, New Mexico. His expertise includes software engineering and database administration, data analysis, scientific and high-performance computing software development, and interfacing between research and production. He holds a master's and PhD in geophysics from Stanford University. Now for our conversation. Your article in the September TLE is called Exploratory Analysis of Affiliation Information in Geophysics Articles. So how would you summarize this article?
1: Well, as uh, geophysicists uh, are most likely familiar with, When an author publishes in uh, geophysics, affiliation that is a company or uh, the university for which uh, they work is also displayed in the article. Uh, And uh, SEG, when they digitized the entire archive of geophysics from 1936 to present, they they included this affiliation information, basically, who the author works for. They included it in, in XML. So uh, I basically came up with the idea of uh, of ext- using, of writing a script, a piece of software that would extract this information, and then I analyzed it to see what institutions, what uh, industry, research institutions, universities, where are the people who publish in geophysics coming from. So uh, then I uh, extracted from this data a variety of interesting trends, and well, that's what the article is about.
0: Why were you interested in exploring this line of inquiry?
1: Well, uh, you know, I, I always enjoyed having fun with, uh, with data. And I also saw some uh, disconnect between what a lot of the marketing and materials of uh, industry communications were saying about, you know, the number of publications and the state of the industry. So I, I couldn't uh, help being intrigued by this and started to look at it, if this, uh, to, look, to examine if the problem can be in a quantitative way.
0: So you discovered in in this work that there were 11,658 non-editorial articles published in geophysics in this time frame. And in recent years, you saw there's been an exponential growth in articles. What do you think led to this growth?
1: By its nature, exponential growth manifests very slowly at first, and then it emerges explosively. Such a mechanism can be underlying the data even during what appears to be just a very slow uptrend. So if you write the equations, you discover that exponentials appear whether, when growth engenders even more growth. Bacteria multiplication is a classical example. So if you are, we are to look for the cause of an exponential growth, it will be something of that nature. In the paper, I uh, briefly mentioned potential causes uh, for this growth, but I would like to look at them one by one in more detail because this, this question has, has a lot, you know, a lot of iceberg under the surface of the sea. So, uh, Well, geophysics is a scientific journal of the society of exploration geophysicists. So an ever-increasing number of papers may be indicative of flourishing research uh, and development and resource exploration. So is that the case? Now, research in any applied field has a life cycle that starts with the initial idea and ends with the industrial application. It's like a pipeline, if you will. So in a healthy R&D ecosystem, academia and industry publications should grow at the same pace. In an applied field, the success of any new idea is defined by the success of its eventual application. It can be argued that even an article that was not applied in the industry in the first few years after its publication may ultimately be found and used years or decades later. There have been a few select such cases, but in the vast majority of cases, applied research publications that uh, do not get applied are simply forgotten. The drop in both relative and absolute numbers of industry publications showed by the data shows that resource exploration R&D as a whole, uh, in aggregate, the whole life cycle, the whole, whole pipeline, is not flourishing. At one end of the pipeline, we have large amounts of academic publications, and at the other, we have fewer and fewer actual applications of this data. The process of applying a new idea in production generates other ideas and improvement. You need industry R&D people to operationalize, test, and scale up academic ideas, and all of this would generate publications too. There is no reason why the industry would become constantly more secretive over decades. And uh, there are many benefits for publishing in the industry, to advertising your competence, protecting your work against later patent claims, to peer review and discussion, and so on. So the size of the R&D work pipeline is proportional to the size of its industry, and uh, that one is shrinking. Now, the figures in the paper show that the number of industry applications is dropping and uh, also the na- relative number of research institute publications is slightly dropping too. So it follows that the increase in academia publications is the one that's responsible for most of the growth. the university. Most likely, more and more university researchers got familiar with the methods of exploration geophysics. They saw about a possible source of funding other than the government grants mill and uh, started applying their knowledge in this field. Now, I I only now I realize I should have also looked at the number of universities publishing each year, and I would expect it to show a steady increase, regardless of where those universities are. So each of those principal investigators that dip their, their toes into the exploration research waters, they will train gradu- their graduate students to do the same. And th- this is a kind of mechanism that, fuel, that fuels its own growth and can lead to an exponential curve. Now, these academics are coming into this field from a wide variety of backgrounds, so it is likely for a broadening of focus to have, to have occurred as they bring their varied interests. In order to prove this hypothesis, one would have to categorize articles into subfields of geophysics based on their content. This classification is a great classical application of data science, and should somebody perform such an analysis and should its results support the hypothesis of a broadening focus, it would then be up to the geophysics editorial board to decide whether such a broadening of focus constitutes enrichment or mission creep. Another very important addition to the number of researchers in this field is parts of the world becoming better developed and connected. East Asia in in general and China in particular are contributing to this uh, trend. Their overall level of development has increased dramatically, and this by itself has fueled even more growth As we discussed for the exponential trends. Now, one other factor that I briefly mentioned in the article was a possible change in acceptance standards. Basically, there are more papers getting accepted. I can see two ways in which this hypothesis can be tested. One would be analyzing submission acceptance rates. But this is, you know, it's quite unlikely that geophysics has kept track of this information over decades. I don't know, they probably didn't. Another much more difficult way would be somehow measuring the impact of each paper. Now, when trying to measure the impact, the question of what the focus of geophysics should be comes into play. uh, Because if that focus is supposed to be strictly advancing applied exploration for natural resources, then the impact should be measured in terms of actual applications of that particular technique in the industry in some well-defined period after you know, some number of years after the article is published. Now, if the focus is more broad, then measuring impact by counting references to a paper, you know, like when academics can compute their impact factors for journals and so on, that's easy to do. The problem is that, of course, this measure can be gained uh, quite a lot.
0: I, I want to follow up on something you mentioned there around how the there's been increased collaboration. Countries like China have, have been increasing. You talk in the paper how even universities across countries are collaborating on these papers. You kind of discovered a magic number for collaborators hoping to publish in geophysics. What is that number, and how did you arrive at that conclusion?
1: Well, I did it by a simple application of a branch of magic called statistics. Computed the distribution of the number of authors of a paper for each year, and then I computed the most likely value for this number, which is the average. And what is that average? It currently stands at something like 35 uh, authors per article. It's the most likely size of a team to produce an article in geophysics.
0: What do you think these trends you found in geophysics looking over these decades says about the industry as a whole?
1: Well, the, first of all, I was amazed by how sustained and deep the decline of the industry has been. You can see it in in the article. It, you know, looking at, at, at this huge decline feels a bit like being the shepherd grazing his sheep among majestic ancient ruins, wondering how it must have been to live at the height of that magnificent uh, civilization. Having been connected to the industry for 16 years, I could experience some of the decline gradient myself, but the data gives us an idea of the true magnitude of this issue. The question that comes up immediately is why that has occurred. The total number of industry R&D publications is ultimately a rough measure of aggregate investment in research and development. Unfortunately, R&D has been the first thing cut in each oil price uh, bust. This creates a cumulative effect and destroys continuity of knowledge and schools of thought. Man- management is rewarded on the basis of short-term company results, not whether uh, research programs that they start now uh, would have yielded great results seven years down the road. So this is this is one, one kind of... Uh, example where government-sponsored research institutes such as those in China uh, may have a structural advantage. Also, the atmosphere of job insecurity in these busts le- leads to people being extremely conservative. People are focused on keeping their jobs, not on taking risks, and arguing for allocating resources to a cost center or arguing for a new technology that may fail to bring the hoped for returns. I believe that this trend will continue until we run out of the low-hanging fruit of uh, unconventional resources, which the truth is they need little geophysics. This may take decades. The demand side is also an issue, given the demographic headwinds in all developed countries, hence lower consumption and the continual improvement of alternative modes of transportation and energy solutions. So the pressure on researchers to take minimal risk and to effectively uh, mostly do development, not the D in R&D will continue. So an atmosphere of pressure leads to researchers putting all their efforts into implementing the ideas from above as orders. But unfortunately, managers are usually selected based on how hard they can push people to work, on how much they can cut costs, not on how creative they are. You know, truly great research ideas do not come on demand in a 15-minute brainstorming session. Uh, So at least this is a reality in the short run. Once unconventionals are exhausted, you know, we're going to, to have a big price spike, in my opinion, because the middle ground of classic reservoirs has already been explored and produced quite uh, exhaustively. You know? and Then we'll, we might have to go directly to complex environments such as the fault belts on land, sub basalt, ultra-deep water, you know, the Arctic. But I'm not, not worried about that in, in the short run.
0: <laughs> Where do you see the next evolution of this research going?
1: Well, this kind of analysis can certainly be widened in scope to analyzing, you know, the flagship journals of different geographical regions to get global coverage and to solve some of the questions that the article is posing. And uh, also analyze SEG abstracts can, of course, be applied to other industries. And who knows, there are probably other (laughs) people who who are doing that. One can go in-depth using lexical analysis and data science segmentation techniques to look at the number of publications for various subfields of geophysical research Uh, uh, which again should uh, should bring light into some of the questions that this exploratory data analysis has uh, only opened. And I'm, I, I have had people give me giving me feedback. So you know, let's say I've uh, seen others uh, who maybe doing it.
0: What was one thing that surprised you? One conclusion, one trend you discovered that you did not expect to find when you started on this
1: work. Really, the the surprise was. How sustained the decline of of the industry has been. That was that was the main uh, the, the main. I mean, I kind of knew that a little bit anecdotically, and I'm you know like you get that feel you know, and you just uh, look at data with our quantitative tools. But uh, that that was uh, that was by far the the main surprise. I also had an idea about some of the evolutions of a number of publications in in some of the more obvious cases, you know, for different countries, but. I, I didn't expect for some of the strengths to be so great, in the case of of countries,
0: is it possible that the industry is allocating its funds to through universities or other research institutions, and they've just kind of changed the model for how they produce research that they're supporting?
1: Now, I might might have uh, mentioned briefly in the beginning of this conversation, you need you need the whole pipeline, you know you you need to implement the research you need the, the people to under, understand it, test it in prototype size, test it with your data, scale it up, test it with field data. this whole pipeline is you know continues to to exist and would have shown some evidence of of existing doesn't make sense for for the industry to sponsor huge you know numbers of papers only not to have the people to. To even properly uh, analyze uh, everything that's published.
0: Kind of taking a, a step back, one of the things I really liked about this paper that you did is how collaborative it was with other SEG members and staff, people you acknowledge in the paper. Could you explain just how this paper even happened?
1: I love playing with data. I love exploring it. and. You know, I, I could perceive, as I mentioned, a disconnect between the marketing rhetoric. You know how great we are doing. We are breaking new barriers and paradigms. You know, every other weekend. Uh, you know, the anecdotal evidence of what I was seeing. So I set to explore the actual data. I released the first version of this work on LinkedIn a year ago. Got about 500 views in the first month. I could see, by the way, that in the in the actual analytics aggregated by LinkedIn, that 17 of these had the title of CEOs, which was uh, nice. <laughs> It looks like garnered some interest. So some people pro- provided great feedback, which improved the paper quite a lot. Sergei Fomel suggested I look at the distribution of the number of authors over the years. And Alex Martinez suggested I analyze collaborations between affiliation categories. And at that time, the affiliation uh, data in XML was quite incomplete for a large interval from 1997 to 2004. And Alex contacted uh, Isaac Fairley and Adrian White from SEG, asking them to look into fixing this issue. They, Jennifer Cobb and other people, worked with the vendor of the conversion solution from scanned PDF into XML. They fixed it, and then I had clean data. It was fantastic. They did a great job, and you know, I'm so grateful to uh, to Alex. And yeah, they then I had a complete complete data set to rerun my analysis tools on.
0: What do you hope readers take away from your article?
1: Well, that de- You know, that really depends on the reader. You know, somebody may maybe looking into the trends in order to do their own career planning. Some uh, industry leaders may, may actually realize that uh, in uh, investment, the contrarian strategy uh, has always uh, worked better than uh, uh, that of uh, following uh, the crowd. So by doing actual R&D, uh, they uh, they might gain a competitive, and not just trying to mimic uh, the bu- published budgets of their competitors, they uh, might actually gain, uh, gain competitive advantage and a resounding success. Ultimately, the human species has advanced by, you know, boldly going where none have gone before. But we are a species of explorers, of uh, risk-takers. You know, this has gotten us, you know, all the way from our beginnings to, to the moon. So uh, I believe that this is uh, what ultimately will will advance uh, this industry and not covering in pain terror about uh, budget cuts.
0: Is there anything else you would like to, to add before we wrap up here?
1: I really hope that this will be useful for others as much or even more than uh, it has been useful to me. For the actual understanding brought about by, by the article and for the questions that are open and also for uh, learning and growth opportunities in when trying to explore and work on this kind of questions.
0: At seg.org podcast, you will find the show notes and links to the September TLE articles. Subscribers can read the full articles online and abstracts are always free. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews bring a smile to our faces. Follow Seismic Sound Off at SCG.org slash podcast to hear new episodes. Seismic Sound Off is sponsored by the SEG Wiki, the place to find hundreds of biographies of geoscientists, open access tutorials, and ongoing translations of SEG's best-selling book, Robert Sheriff's Encyclopedic Dictionary. Type wiki.scg.org into your browser to visit the world's first online geophysics encyclopedia. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by Andrew Gary. Special thanks to the SEG Podcast team, Jennifer Crockett, Allie McGinnis, Teresa Richard, and Mick Sweeney. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.